Section 10 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 12. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 12. Section 10. Letter from Varvara Dobrosyelov to Mekar Dievushkin from Poor People by Fyodor Mikhailovich Dostoevsky. Pokrovsky was a poor, very poor young man. His health did not permit of his attending regularly to his studies, and so it was only by way of custom that we called him a student. He lived modestly peaceably, quietly, so that we could not even hear him from our room. He was very queer in appearance. He walked so awkwardly, bowed so uncouthly, spoke in such a peculiar manner, that at first I could not look at him without laughing. Moreover, he was of an irritable character, was constantly getting angry, flew into a rage at the slightest trifle, shouted at us, complained of us, and often went off to his own room in a fit of wrath without finishing our lesson. He had a great many books, all of them expensive, rare books. He gave lessons somewhere else also, received some remuneration, and just as soon as he had a little money, he went off and bought more books. In time I learned to understand him better. He was the kindest, the most worthy man, the best man I ever met. My mother respected him highly. Later on, he became my best friend, after my mother, of course. From time to time, a little old man made his appearance at our house, a dirty, badly dressed, small, gray-haired, sluggish, awkward old fellow. In short, he was peculiar to the last degree. At first sight, one would have thought that he felt ashamed of something, that his conscience smote him for something. He writhed and twisted constantly. He had such tricks of manner and ways of shrugging his shoulders that one would not have been far wrong in assuming that he was a little crazy. He would come and stand close to the glazed door in the vestibule and not dare to enter. As soon as one of us, Sasha or I or one of the servants, whom he knew to be kindly disposed toward him, passed that way, he would begin to wave his hands and beckon us to him and make signs. And only when we nodded to him or called to him, the signal agreed upon that there was no stranger in the house and that he might enter when he pleased, only then would the old man softly open the door with a joyous smile, rubbing his hands together with delight, and betake himself to Pokrovsky's room. He was his father. Afterward I learned in detail the story of this poor old man. Once upon a time he had been in the government service somewhere or other, but he had not the slightest capacity, and his place in the service was the lowest and most insignificant of all. When his first wife died, the mother of the student Pokrovsky, he took it into his head to marry again, and wedded a woman from the petty merchant class. 
Under the rule of this new wife, everything was at sixes and sevens in his house. There was no living with her. She drew a tight rein over everybody. Student Pokrovsky was a boy at that time, ten years of age. His stepmother hated him. But fate was kind to little Pokrovsky. Biakov, a landed proprietor, who was acquainted with Pokrovsky the father, and had formerly been his benefactor, took the child under his protection and placed him in a school. He took an interest in him because he had known his dead mother, whom Anna Fyodorovna had befriended while she was still a girl, and who had married her off to Pokrovsky. From school young Pokrovsky entered a gymnasium, and then the university, but his impaired health prevented his continuing his studies there. Mr. Bikov introduced him to Anna Fyodorovna, recommended him to her, and in this way young Pokrovsky had been taken into the house as a boarder, on condition that he should teach Sasha all that was necessary. But old Pokrovsky fell into the lowest dissipation through grief at his wife's harshness, and was almost always in a state of drunkenness. His wife beat him, drove him into the kitchen to live, and brought matters to such a point that at last he got used to being beaten and ill-treated, and made no complaint. He was still far from being an old man, but his evil habits had nearly destroyed his mind. The only sign in him of noble human sentiments was his boundless love for his son. It was said that young Pokrovsky was as like his dead mother as two drops of water to each other. The old man could talk of nothing but his son, and came to see him regularly twice a week. He dared not come more frequently, because young Pokrovsky could not endure his father's visits. Of all his failings, the first and greatest, without a doubt, was his lack of respect for his father. However, the old man certainly was at times the most intolerable creature in the world. In the first place he was dreadfully inquisitive. In the second, by his chatter and questions, he interfered with his son's occupations, and lastly, he sometimes presented himself in a state of intoxication. The son broke the father in a degree of his faults, of his inquisitiveness and his chattering, and ultimately brought about such a condition of affairs that the latter listened to all he said as to an oracle, and dared not open his mouth without his permission. There were no bounds to the old man's admiration of and delight in his patinka, as he called his son. When he came to visit him, he almost always wore a rather anxious, timid expression, probably on account of his uncertainty as to how his son would receive him, and generally could not make up his mind for a long time to go in. And if I happened to be present, he would question me for twenty minutes. How was Petinka? Was he well? In what mood was he? And was not he occupied in something important? What precisely was he doing? Was he writing, or engaged in meditation? 
when i had sufficiently encouraged and soothed him the old man would at last make up his mind to enter and would open the door very very softly very very cautiously and stick his head in first and if he saw that his son was not angry and nodded to him he would step gently into the room take off his little coat and his hat which was always crumpled full of holes and with broken rims and hang them on a hook doing everything very softly and inaudibly then he would seat himself cautiously on a chair and never take his eyes from his son but would watch his every movement in his desire to divine the state of his patinka's temper if the son was not exactly in the right mood and the old man detected it he instantly rose from his seat and explained i only ran in for a minute patinka i have been walking a good ways and happened to be passing by so i came in to rest myself and then silently he took his poor little coat and his wretched little hat opened the door again very softly and went away forcing a smile in order to suppress the grief which was seething up in his soul and not betray it to his son but when the son received his father well the old man was beside himself with joy his satisfaction shone forth in his face in his gestures in his movements if his son addressed a remark to him the old man always rose a little from his chair and replied softly cringingly almost reverently and always made an effort to employ the most select that is to say the most ridiculous expressions but he had not the gift of language he always became confused and frightened so that he did not know what to do with his hands or what to do with his person and went on for a long time afterward whispering his answer to himself as though desirous of recovering his composure but if he succeeded in making a good answer the old man gained courage set his waistcoat to rights and his cravat and his coat and assumed an air of personal dignity sometimes his courage rose to such a point his daring reached such a height that he rose gently from his chair went up to the shelf of books took down a book he did all this with an air of artificial indifference and coolness as though he could always handle his son's books in this proprietary manner as though his son's caresses were no rarity to him but i once happened to witness the old man's fright when pokrovsky asked him not to touch his books he became confused hurriedly replaced the book upside down then tried to put it right turned it round and set it wrong side too leaves out smiled reddened and did not know how to expiate his crime one day old pokrovsky came in to see us he chatted with us for a long time was unusually cheerful alert talkative he laughed and joked after his fashion and at last revealed the secret of his raptures and announced to us that his patinka's birthday fell precisely a week later and that it was his intention to call upon his son without fail on that day that he would don a new waistcoat and that his wife had promised to buy him some new boots 
In short, the old man was perfectly happy, and chattered about everything that came into his head. His birthday! That birthday gave me no peace, either day or night. I made up my mind faithfully to remind Pokrovsky of my friendship, and to make him a present. But what? At last I hit upon the idea of giving him some books. I knew that he wished to own the complete works of Pushkin in the latest edition. I had thirty roubles of my own earned by my handiwork. I had put this money aside for a new gown. I immediately sent old Matriona, our cook, to inquire the price of a complete set, alas, the price of the eleven volumes, together with the expenses of binding, would be sixty roubles at the very least. I thought and thought, but could not tell what to do. I did not wish to ask my mother. Of course she would have helped me, but in that case everyone in the house would have known about our gift. Moreover, the gift would have been converted into an expression of gratitude, a payment for Pokrovsky's labors for the whole year. My desire was to make the present privately unknown to anyone, and for his toilsome lessons to me I wished to remain forever indebted to him without any payment whatever. At last I devised an escape from my predicament. I knew that one could often buy at half price from the old booksellers in the Gostini Dvor, if one bargained well, little used and almost entirely new books. I made up my mind to go to the Gostini Dvor myself. So it came about. The very next morning both Anna Fyodorovna and we needed something— Mama was not feeling well, and Anna Fyodorovna, quite opportunely, had a fit of laziness, so all the errands were turned over to me, and I set out with Matriona. To my delight I soon found a pushkin, and in a very handsome binding, I began to bargain for it. How I enjoyed it! But alas! My entire capital consisted of thirty roubles in paper, and the merchant would not consent to accept less than ten roubles in silver. At last I began to entreat him, and I begged and begged, until eventually he yielded. But he only took off two roubles and a half, and swore that he had done so only for my sake, because I was such a nice young lady, and that he would not have come down in his price for anyone else. Two roubles and a half were still lacking. I was ready to cry with vexation. But the most unexpected circumstance came to my rescue in my grief. Not far from me, at another stall, I caught sight of old Pokrovsky. Four or five old booksellers were clustered about him. He had completely lost his wits, and they had thoroughly bewildered him. Each one was offering him his wares, and what stuff they were offering, and what all was he not ready to buy. I stepped up to him and asked him what he was doing there. The old man was very glad to see me. He loved me unboundedly. No less than his Patinka, perhaps. Why, I am buying a few little books, Varvara Alexievna, he replied. I am buying some books for Patinka. I asked him if he had much money. See here, 
and the poor old man took out all his money, which was wrapped up in a dirty scrap of newspaper. Here's a half-ruble and a twenty-kopeck piece, and twenty kopecks in copper coins. I immediately dragged him off to my bookseller. Here are eleven books, which cost altogether thirty-two roubles and a half. I have thirty. Put your two roubles and a half with mine, and we will buy all these books, and give them to him in partnership. The old man was quite beside himself with joy, and the bookseller loaded him down with our common library. The next day the old man came to see his son, sat with him a little while, then came to us and sat down beside me with a very comical air of mystery. Every moment he grew more sad and uneasy. At last he could hold out no longer. "'Listen, Varvara Alexievna,' he began timidly in a low voice. "'Do you know what, Varvara Alexievna?' The old man was dreadfully embarrassed. "'You see, when his birthday comes, do you take ten of those little books and give them to him yourself, that is to say, from yourself, on your own behalf, then I will take the eleventh and give it from myself for my share.' so you see you will have something to give and i shall have something to give we shall both have something to give i was awfully sorry for the old man i did not take long to think it over the old man watched me anxiously listen to me zakhar petrovitch i said do you give him all how all do you mean all the books yes certainly all the books and from myself from yourself from myself alone that is in my own name yes in your own name i thought i was expressing myself with sufficient clearness but the old man could not understand me for a long time you see he explained to me at last i sometimes indulge myself varvara alexievna that is to say i wish to state to you that i nearly always indulge myself i do that which is not right that is you know when it is cold out of doors and when various unpleasant things happen at times or when i feel sad for any reason or something bad happens then sometimes i do not restrain myself and i drink too much this is very disagreeable to Petrushka, you see, Varvara Alexievna. He gets angry, and he scolds me, and reads me moral lectures. So now I should like to show him by my gift that I have reformed, and am beginning to conduct myself well, that I have been saving up my money to buy a book, saving for a long time, because I hardly ever have any money, except when it happens that Petrushka gives me some now and then. He knows that. Consequently, he will see what use I have made of my money, and he will know that I have done this for his sake alone. Well, yes, he said, after thinking it over, yes, that will be very fine, that will be very fine indeed. Only what are you going to do, Varvara Alexievna? Why, I shall not give anything. What? cried the old man, almost in terror. So you will not give Petinka anything? So you do not wish to give him anything? He was alarmed. At that moment it seemed as though he were ready to relinquish his own suggestions, so that I might have something to give his son. 
He was a kind-hearted old man. I explained that I would be glad to give something, only I did not wish to deprive him of the pleasure. On the festive day he made his appearance at precisely eleven o'clock, straight from the mass, in his dress-coat, decently patched, and actually in a new waistcoat and new boots. We were all sitting in the hall with Anna Fyodorovna, and drinking coffee, it was Sunday. The old man began, I believe, by saying that Pushkin was a good poet, then he lost the thread of his discourse and got confused and suddenly jumped to the assertion that a man must behave well and that if he does not behave himself well then it simply means that he indulges himself he even cited several terrible examples of intemperance and wound up by stating that for some time past he had been entirely a reformed character and that he now behaved with perfect propriety that even earlier he had recognized the justice of his son's exhortations and had treasured them all in his heart and had actually begun to be sober in proof of which he now presented these books, which had been purchased with money, which he had been hoarding up for a long time. I could not refrain from tears and laughter as I listened to the poor old fellow. He knew well how to lie when the occasion demanded. The books were taken to Pokrovsky's room and placed on the shelf. Pokrovsky immediately divined the truth. Pokrovsky fell ill two months after the events which I have described above. During those two months he had striven incessantly for the means of existence, for up to that time he had never had a settled position. Like all consumptives, he bade farewell only with his last breath to the hope of a very long life. Anna Fyodorovna herself made all the arrangements about the funeral. She bought the very plainest sort of a coffin, and hired a truckman. In order to repay herself for her expenditure, Anna Fyodorovna took possession of all the dead man's books and effects. The old man wrangled with her, raised an uproar, snatched from her as many books as possible, stuffed all his pockets with them, thrust them into his hat, and wherever he could— carried them about with him all the three days which preceded the funeral, and did not even part with them when the time came to go to the church. During all those days he was like a man stunned, who had lost his memory, and he kept fussing about near the coffin with a certain strange anxiety. Now he adjusted the paper band upon the dead man's brow, now he lighted and snuffed the candles, it was evident that he could not fix his thoughts in orderly manner on anything. Neither my mother nor Anna Fyodorovna went to the funeral services in the church. My mother was ill, but Anna Fyodorovna quarreled with old Pokrovsky, just as she was all ready to start, and so stayed away. The old man and I were the only persons present— a sort of fear came over me during the services like the presentiment of something which was about to happen i could hardly stand out the ceremony in church at last they put the lid on the coffin and nailed it down placed it on the cart and drove away 
I accompanied it only to the end of the street. The truckmen drove at a trot. The old man ran after the cart, weeping aloud. The sound of his crying was broken and shaken by his running. The poor man lost his hat and did not stop to pick it up. His head was wet with the rain. The sleet lashed and cut his face. The old man did not appear to feel the bad weather, but ran weeping from one side of the cart to the other. The skirts of his shabby old coat waved in the wind like wings. Books protruded from every one of his pockets. In his hands was a huge book, which he held tightly clutched. The passers-by removed their hats and made the sign of the cross. Some halted and stared in amazement at the poor old man. Every moment the books kept falling out of his pockets into the mud. People stopped him and pointed out his losses to him. He picked them up and set out again in pursuit of the coffin. At the corner of the street an old beggar-woman joined herself to him to escort the coffin. At last the cart turned the corner and disappeared from my eyes. I went home. I flung myself in dreadful grief on my mother's bosom. Translation of Isabel F. Hapgood End of Section 10 Fyodor Mikhailovich Dostoevsky